Turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be uh, there in just a, uh, a second, but let me begin with a little story. I have a friend named Kerry. He's a pastor about seven foot tall, and I was talking to him not long ago. He, he said, you know, when you're speaking, you never want to say something that divides the crowd. You don't want to say something that, uh, you know, it's going to uh, divide half of the people. So you maybe you have Redskin fans. Well, there's no Redskins anymore, but Cowboy fans, Washington football, and you don't want to say something because you don't want to divide the crowd. I think that's great advice, uh, someone said you correct before you, or you connect before you correct. I like all that, uh, but I'm not going to do that this morning, all right? So here's my goal. I hope to offend you within the next three minutes at least, all right? So uh, that's uh, sort of my goal. So let's see if we can uh, do that. But we live in a society that I would say is a false dichotomy. By that, I mean this. If you choose one group in the society that we're in today, Basically, many would say, okay, you must be anti the other group. Or if you are for a particular group, then you must hate the other side. Let me just illustrate it in a couple of ways. Let's think of politics. If you are a conservative Republican, then if somebody paints you in that corner, then you must hate everybody else in the country, right? So you got to be a, a MAGA hat wearing a, a white supremacist or whatever else we want to put on that list, right? Or if you are a liberal Democrat, then you have to hate the other crowd. And, and let me remind you that we do live in a two-party system. And whatever your background comes from, we are ultimately not Democrats or Republicans. We are Americans, and there's something very beautiful about compromise. We don't compromise our beliefs, our morals, the things that are right and wrong, but there are some things that we can fight about that really don't make that big a difference. There's this false dichotomy. You've got to choose one group, and therefore you've got to hate the other side. I, I don't think that's healthy for us as Americans or as Christians. Let's take over the past year or so the minority-majority issue arguments that have gone on. Now, there's a, a lot of people from the majority in the, this group. I, I, you may not know it. If you're online, you may not be able to tell, but I'm white, all right? So I, I'm white because I was born white. My parents are white. I grew up in a white uh, community, primarily with you know, Northern Virginia, somewhat multicultural and had a lot of friends, a lot of uh, uh, different backgrounds and stuff. But I am a white guy, and guess what? I view things from a white perspective. Now, I hope you don't, uh, are not offended at that, but that's just the way I view life. I can't really help that. But it doesn't make me anti-minority, right? I mean, if we look at these issues, if you are pro-minority today, many would say you must be anti-cop. And that's, you know, just a false dichotomy. We shouldn't be that at all. Or if you are pro-cop, are you against the minority? See, that, those are arguments that people try to paint you in a corner that are not healthy at all. I think we need to care for black and blue. But I want you to know something. If you take a position where you care for the minority or we'll just say uh, black people and you care for the blue cops, you will end up being black and blue in today's society. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you will be hated by everybody, basically. That's a false dichotomy. We do not want to place ourselves in that. Anybody offended yet? Okay. I'll just give you one more and then we're going to go to the message here. Let's take gender. We as a church 
do believe in male leadership. We only have male pastors. We believe, I know this is radical here, that men are to lead their families. And here's what that means. It is your responsibility to care for your family, to honor your wife, to take the load off your family, to lead them, to guide them, to correct them, to exemplify the life that you're supposed to have. That's what Ephesians 5, remember last week, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's your role to be honoring. And wherever Christianity has been throughout our 2000 year history, it has exalted the role of women. It honors women, but we are to be leaders to care for our family. There's a false dichotomy that says if you are, are believe in male leadership that you must hate women. Don't paint yourself in, and don't let others paint you in that false dichotomy. There's something about the Bible that is very beautiful. It tells us the darkness of mankind and the incredible blessing. You see, we are created in the image of God. Here's how balanced the Bible is. You are made in the image of God, but at the same time, we all have a fallen nature. Mankind can do the utmost good and they can turn around and we can do terrible things as well. Not only with man, but citizenship. Now, listen, your primary citizenship, the Bible says you are citizens of heaven when you're born into God's family. That's his kingdom. That is primary. If you ever have to make a choice between your national country and your spiritual country, let me say this, we, it shouldn't be a choice. You should serve God first, right, over man. But by loving your country, doesn't, or loving your heavenly country should not make you a bad citizen. If anything, being the Christian that God wants you to be, you should be the very best citizen possible. First Timothy 2 says that one of the number one responsibilities of the church is to pray for those that are in authority. The church is to be praying for the government. We, th there's an incredible balance here. Let me just give you one more. And it deals with the issue of grace and truth. John 1:14 speaking of Jesus who's called the word, here's what the Bible says, and the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Notice this, full of grace and truth. Jesus was truthful. I mean, he told people when they sinned to stop sinning, right? Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. He, he told us what sin was and he told us not to sin, but he was gracious and he spent time with people that were flawed. You see, we don't go to church today because we're perfect. Sometimes in society, oh yeah, everybody at church thinks they're perfect. If you're perfect, you might as well just turn the internet off or just pack up and go home because if you're perfect, this sermon's not gonna do you any good. But if you have some flaws, maybe it will. You know, Jesus was filled with grace and truth. We are to be truthful. We are to stand for that which is right, but God calls us to be like him, to be gracious. One more, Ephesians 4.15 says this, but speaking the truth in love. So you can be truthful. You can deal with that which is right. You can teach the Bible, but make sure you do it in love. We believe there is an eternity. And if you go into eternity without Jesus, that place is everlasting hell. But we're not to be harsh and mean, hoping people will end up there, right? Speaking the truth in love. Last week, we started a series called The Church, Loving What Jesus Loves. Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church. 
I said this last week, the Old Testament begins with Adam and Eve falling into sin. The kingdom was lost. But God had a divine plan. He chose the nation of Israel to bless all the world. That's in Genesis 12. He called that nation to be a light to the world, but through their ups and downs, more downs than ups really, they had all their flaws, all their difficulties, they ended up in captivity. At the end of the Old Testament, they were able to come out of that captivity. And at the end of the Old Testament, before the beginning of the New Testament, there were 400 years where God didn't speak. But the New Testament begins, and Matthew is a bridge from the old to the new, and we see John the Baptist coming on the scene, and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus later says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus comes as the Messiah, the Old Testament prophet, the one that the Old Testament predicted was going to come, but they rejected the king, and they rejected his kingdom. For 15 chapters in the book of Matthew, Jesus offers a kingdom and the nation of Israel rejects Jesus time and time again. They don't accept him as the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. So in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus takes the nation of Israel and sets them on a shelf for a time. They're going to come back. It's only temporary. But during this season, God established something very beautiful and it's called his church. Jesus said, I will build my church. We defined the word church last week. The word church just simply means the assembled together believers. Today, as we gather together, if you see us as your church online and those that are in this room here, we are assembling together. We have gathered together as Christians, as children of God, and as his body, the church. We make up the church today. I remember... 29 years ago, just about, Paul and I moved to the Fredericksburg area. And I had a general understanding. I understand the Bible 29 years later better than I did 29 years ago, but I knew the Old Testament was about Israel. The New Testament was about Jesus. And uh, the four gospels told about the life of Jesus. And then we get to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is how the early church was started and how it was to go throughout all the world. And so, That summer before we started the church, I was reading through the book of Acts. I thought, if this is the history of the church, I want to know how the church functioned in the early days. And so I was reading through Acts chapter 1 and verse 2, and I came to Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And here's what Acts 2.42 says. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. That word steadfast is very interesting. They were steadfast, or they, this idea they were, were uh, moving along. They uh, kept hold of the truth. They were consistent. They didn't wander away from it. The word I would use, they were united. The early church had this incredible spirit of unity. They were united in doctrine, that's their beliefs, and the fellowship, that's their relationships. They held to the truth. They were passionate about the word of God. We'll talk more about that next week. And they loved people. You see, there's some people that love people around here. You, you're very caring of people, but 
you don't really know what the Bible says, and God wants you to learn the Bible. And there's some people around here, you love the Bible, you know what the Bible says, you just can't stand people, right? And neither are healthy. We are to have both. We're to stand for truth, and we're to stand for relationships. And it says they were steadfast in these things. My number one prayer request, after I pray for my wife, then myself, then my kids and my grandkids and my extended family, I begin to pray for Choice Baptist. And the number one prayer request I have is just simply this, for unity, that the Choice family is to be united. God wants this church and his local churches to be united. Not to be divisive, not to uh, be filled with problems. Listen, the world is filled with problems. There needs to be a place that people come into where they are loved and they feel loved. A place where they can connect and and move along in their faith. And so I, I read this verse and it was just like God highlighted this verse. Be united in doctrine. Have the right beliefs, but also have the right behavior. Make sure people are getting along. Big desire of our church is make sure that our marriages are strong. Make sure that bringing up our kids is going the right way. Make sure that the way we relate on the job and in our community. You know, don't just be nice to church people. But when you leave here today, if you go to a restaurant and maybe the waiter or waitress isn't being real nice, be gracious, be kind, be loving. You know, be forbearing, be patient with people. You're in a line that's long. You know, do you ever feel like whatever line you get in, it's always the longest? And you're like, oh, why is it always me? Not, you know, don't have a stinky attitude. Just say, you know what? Maybe I'm in this line and God wants me to talk to somebody. Maybe they just need encouragement. Maybe they've had a bad day. Maybe I can be a blessing to somebody in my life today. Having the right kind of relationships. Well, let me tell you about the context of Acts chapter two, verse 42. Remember, I said the New Testament began and Matthew is a bridge from the Old Testament to the New. The four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell us about the life of Jesus. Uh, From his birth and, and primarily from the beginning of his ministry until his death, burial, and resurrection. And right before he ascends, every one of the gospels and the book of Matthew basically say this. I came to the world and died, Jesus said. Now go tell everybody that message so they can end up in heaven. I want everybody to go to heaven. I don't just care for the people at Choice Baptist Church. I care for the people in this community that don't go to church. It's not just about us. It's about the world. For God so loved what? The world, right? And so he said, I want you to go to all the world and preach the gospel. He says it in Matthew. He says it in Mark. He says it in Luke. He says it in John. And then he says it again. Look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Acts 1.8, here's what the Bible says. Jesus is talking, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Now, that just simply means that we are to have a good testimony. Whether that be uh, the way that we live or whether that be us sharing our faith, we are to have a good testimony. We are to be witnesses to the people around us, be witnesses. And here's where he wants us to be a witness to. Both in Jerusalem, now that's where they were at that point. Start where you are, right? Are there people in your life right now that don't know Jesus? I want you to be a witness to them. Both in Jerusalem, Judea, that's the farther region around. Judea, Samaria, 
That's the people that are different than you. The Samaritans weren't really liked by the Jews. He said, hey, I want you to love people that you don't even like. And then I want you to go to the uttermost part of the world. I want you to go, and if you don't go, I want you to pray and give so missionaries can go so they can take the gospel. That's how the Bible starts. And then the rest of the Bible tells us not just the history of how these churches went around the world and how we got here today, but it tells us how these Christians are to act and even more precisely how these churches are to act as well. Well, we get to Acts chapter two. Peter understood that he was to take the gospel and to be a witness. We get to Acts chapter two, and the Jews all come for a feast. It's called the Feast of Pentecost. Maybe you've heard of the phrase Pentecost or Pentecostals. It comes from Acts two. It was a feast in the Old Testament. And this feast in the Old Testament, the Jews from all around would gather together and they would come to Jerusalem. So all these Jews, now many kind of Jews, Different cultures, they could have different languages, different backgrounds, but they were all Jews and they all come together for this feast called Pentecost. And with all these people around, and God was doing some incredible things, and while these people are together, gathered together, Peter's like, hmm, I got an idea. I think I'm gonna tell these people about Jesus. That's a pretty good idea, isn't it? And here's his message. Look with me at verse 21 of Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 verse 21. Here's what Peter preached. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How do you get saved? By calling on the name of the Lord. Has there been a time in your life that you called on the name of Jesus? Sometimes people will say things like this. Well, I've just always been saved. Yeah, I, I grew up in a Christian home or I, I've always gone to church. I've, I'm always saved. Listen, this verse contradicts that. You have not always been saved. Here's what's necessary to be saved. You have to call upon the name of Jesus, all right? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that means if you haven't called on the name of the Lord, you're not saved. Well, I'm a good person. Listen, he's talking to Jews, Jews that had, had followed the, the Jewish uh, rituals, that they were doing the right kind of things. They were coming to this feast to offer sacrifices and to fulfill their Old Testament obligation. These are good people. And he says to these good moral people, you still have to call on Jesus to be saved. You're not saved any other way. Jesus is the only savior. It's not your works. It's not what you've done. It's not what your parents have done. Jesus is the savior and you have to call upon his name. If you think, oh, well, I've always been saved or whatever, make sure there's a point in your life that you've called on his name. I grew up in church, six years old. I asked Jesus to come into my heart. I even came forward, had an invitation and what we called the altar at church. I prayed with my mom. But as I became a teenager, I was like, man, I really don't remember. I don't remember calling on his name. So as a teenager, I said, Jesus, I think I got saved at six, but I don't know. I wanna know for sure that I'm saved, all right? That's what Peter is preaching. Call upon the name of the Lord. And what is his message? If you read through Acts 2, do it this afternoon. If you're online, don't read it right now, but read it after the message, all right? Go ahead and read Acts 2 later today. But here's what it says. Peter stands up and he's witnessing, remember? He tells them how to be saved and here's how to be saved. He says, Jesus came from the prediction of the Old Testament to this world. 
Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus died for you, for all of our sins. But Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus was buried, but he resurrected. His message was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He said, this is how you get saved. Here's the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. Not being a Baptist, not being baptized, not going to church, not obeying the Ten Commandments, but calling upon his name, who? The Lord, Jesus, the one that died for you, that resurrected. And right before he preaches this, Jesus had ascended to heaven. And I can just picture him looking down at us today and said, just call on me, just call on me. I died for you. I want you to have eternal life. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they heard Peter's message. They were cut to the heart. They were convicted. They realized that they had sinned. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? He just preached about the death, burial, and resurrection. They said, man, I want to go to heaven. What do I have to do? He had already told them, call on the name of the Lord. How do you do that? What do we do? Verse 37, he tells us in verse 38. Look at it. Peter says this, repent. Repent. Now, the word doesn't mean stop sinning because none of us can just stop sinning, all right? The word means to change your mind, right? It's a change of mind that leads to a change of life. Repent. Stop trusting in anything else but Jesus. Change your mind. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. You can't get to heaven but by me, Jesus said. Change your mind. You can't get there on your own. I want you to repent. Now, he used the word call in verse 21. In verse 38, he used the word repent. Later, he uses the word receive or accept. There's a lot of different words Jesus uses for us being born into God's family. But it all comes back to admitting you're a sinner, believing Jesus died, was buried, and rose again the third day, and calling upon his name. Has there been that point in your life that you've done that? What do we do? He says, repent. Now look at verse 38 again. Repent and let every one of you Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Two things I want to say about this baptism. The first is the order. Notice it says, first, I want you to repent, and then I want you to be baptized. Now, our church is called Choice Baptist Church. Someone said one time, how do you become a Baptist? It's just one guy said, I became a Baptist by accident. Somebody left the Bible open, and I read it. And uh, I think that's basically what it means. To be a Baptist is not a denomination. It really is just a belief system. I believe the Bible to be literally true. And when we see in the Bible that you get saved first and then you get baptized, we as a Baptist church think the Bible doesn't teach infant baptism, so we don't baptize. Here's why. Because a baby doesn't believe on Jesus yet. Baptism doesn't wash sins away. It has no bearing on whether you get to heaven or not. Baptism is that first step of obedience. It's when we get baptized, that order. Salvation first, repentance first, then baptism. Call upon Jesus and then get baptized. It's that first step of obedience. First, we see the order. Second, I want you to understand the reason you get baptized. Because Let me say this. This verse is kind of a difficult verse. There's some difficult verses in the Bible. And the first read of it says, get baptized for the remission of sins. Oh, it sounds like that that water washes your sins away. 
And if you look at Peter's message in Acts 10 or even what he said, and remember what he said in verse uh, 21, how do you get saved? By calling, right? Not by baptism. So what does it mean to be baptized for the remission of sins? The word for comes from a Greek word. It's three letters, E-I-S, okay? That word E-I-S is the word for. And the word for, it's a great word. But it can mean two different things. It can mean in order that. And that would be very confusing if that's what this verse means. Let me illustrate it this way. If I say, after church, I'm going to the store for bread, what does it mean? I'm going to the store in order that I can get a loaf of bread, right? And if that's what this verse means, it's saying you get saved, I mean baptized, in order that you can have your sins forgiven. Now, again, we read the verses all around it. I don't think we can come to that conclusion, though first thought it would kind of make it sound like it. Let me give you a second idea of this word, not in order that, but because of. If I say my sports team won, therefore I jumped for joy. If I jump for joy, do I jump in order to have the joy? No. I jump because I already have the joy. Does that make sense? If I jump for joy, I'm jumping because I have joy. That really is the understanding of verse 38. Repent and be baptized because of the forgiveness of sins. Because you already have the forgiveness of sins. Salvation is how you get your sins forgiven. The blood of Jesus is what uh, had to be shed for us to have eternal life, not water. But baptism is that first step of obedience. And then in verse 41, it says something quite interesting too. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Now, if you have not been baptized yet, there's only one good reason to be baptized. If you are glad that you're saved, all right? If you're saved and you're not glad that you're saved, don't get baptized, all right? Does that make sense? But if you are glad that you are a Christian and you haven't followed in baptism, he's saying that's the next thing you do. They that gladly received his word, you are excited that you're going to heaven, will get baptized because it pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It is that first step of obedience, and something else happens in that verse. And that day they were added 3,000 souls to them. Salvation, baptism, and church membership. Those are the three steps that are talked about. Now, I'm not sure why, but people will join the membership of Costco, they'll join the NRA, they'll join, if you're my, getting close, uh, you know, uh, I almost said the NAACP, I can't join that, I guess, but AARP, okay? So, uh, yeah, so cut that part out of the sermon uh, right online or whatever, but the, you know, uh, AARP or whatever, but it's, it's often people will join about anything, but they don't wanna join the church. Now, the word membership actually is a biblical word. 1 Corinthians 12 says that there are many members in the church. We should get connected to a church. The church family is vital. These are things that God wants us to be a part of. How do we join the church? I get saved, 
and I get baptized. And when these people got baptized, they joined the church. Or if you've already been baptized, you get connected to a church family. I'll talk more about Acts 2 verse 42, this idea of doctrine and fellowship. How, how do we know what kind of church to connect with? But let me tell you just a short little story. And, you know, earlier we just prayed for uh, the Cornell family. What an incredible example of a family uh, that we can emulate, that we can be like. Been around here for 22 years, supported, led, served, gave financially, gave of their time, gave of their heart. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to move to Florida and they're going to get connected to another church down there as well. Why? Because that's God's plan. Jesus loves the church. We should be a part of the church. We call ourselves the choice family. Let me tell you one story and we'll wrap it up. In the 70s, there was a song by Sister Sledge. Do you remember it? We are family, right? And there's a, a hyphen in that, family. You know, it's not, it wasn't family. We are family. Sing it with me. All right, no, don't sing it anyway. But anyway. Well, that song in 1979 became the theme song for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They were in the World Series. And Willie Stargell, they called him Pops because they considered themselves the family. Now, Willie said that their team had incredible diversity. There he is on the screen, number eight. Pops said that there were different financial backgrounds, educational backgrounds, all kinds of different ethnicities, but he said when we were in the bullpen, we were a team. And he said that's how we were able to be overcomers, united. You know, that's what it means to be a part of a church. God wants us to be united. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different perspectives. We all are unique. There are many reasons we could not get along, but God calls us as brothers and sisters. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, our heavenly Father, you know what that makes us? Brothers and sisters in Christ. That is cause for us to be united. That's a reason that we are the choice family, that God wants us to have unity. He wants us to love so we can go to the community around us and share, be witnesses, tell people about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Let's just bow our heads for one moment. Here's something I want you just to consider. As the team comes for our last song, ask yourself that question. Friend, if you're online, think about it. If you're in this room, do I know for sure that I'm going to heaven? None of us were born Christians. We've got to call on his name. Has there been that point that you've called on the name of Jesus? If not, do it right now. Jesus said, trust me, I am the way. Accept him as your savior. You could say something like this, if it truly is the, the passion of your heart, dear Jesus, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I believe that you died for me so my sins could be forgiven. 
I believe that you resurrected the third day and that you ascended to heaven and I'm calling on you right now. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Make that decision. If you know Jesus as your Savior, what about your family, your friends, your grandchildren, your children, your parents? Do they know they're saved? Let's be witnesses. Yes, speak the truth and love. Have grace and truth. Do you need to invite them to church? Do you need to have a better testimony? You need to change some actions, some habits in your life, the way you speak, the attitude of your heart. Let's be witnesses in our actions, but also in our speech, sharing the death, burial, and resurrection with others. Pray for them right now, that person. Dear Jesus, please save my family member, my friend, my parents, my grandparents. And if you know Jesus as Savior, has there been that time that you have followed in baptism? Take that first step and then get connected to a church. Not just in attendance, but be a part of a small group and get involved and serve God with your abilities. Dear God, I offer this message as just such a simple truth to you as a demonstration of worship this morning. You are worthy. May I love the church as you love the church. And I pray that you'd give us an incredible spirit of unity, that we would reach out to the community and the world around us with your love. Use this time, God. Convict our hearts. And answer the question, what would you have us to do? In Jesus' name.